Another week, another podcast. Andrew Mason, Andy Lindall here talking all things Broncos with you. And uh, it's a warm day. Now, it's going to be cold. Finally. When you're listening to this over the weekend, if you're in the Denver area, it might have cooled down. But as we're recording this, we're sitting outside, al fresco. And it's a beautiful Colorado <laughs> spring day. And I think this was way overdue. It is way overdue. It is. What is it? Coming up on May 12th, I guess. Yeah. Probably about the time this is available for perusal on the Broncos website. But yeah, this is way overdue. It's nice to be outside. We're here at Illegal Pete's. We're what it, we've been at one of about three spots. Mm-hmm. Illegal Pete's on Evans is one of them. If you want to join us here, it's usually Thursday, sometime after Andrew's <laughs> show. Guess the arrival time. Andrew's already had a fan stop by once before, so another one can stop by again. But sure. It is. Uh, we welcome guests. Let's be honest, Andrew. It's uh, it's a slow week. Not a lot going on. We're waiting for the start of rookie camp. Mm-hmm. If I had to ask you, because it, it's something I've been gathering from everybody, and the answers have been interesting. Outside of Chubb, draft a guy five. You expect, honestly, right, him to contribute. But but in order, give me a couple three of your guys that must. I've been relating them to stocks. There's some stocks you can wait on them to pay you back. Mm-hmm. Maybe Cortland Sutton's one of those. Yes. Uh, with his route running that needs to be crisp, crisp, I don't know, worked on mm-hmm. is a word that he used, more crisp. Who are the guys we can't wait on for the stocks to pay this year out of this class? The one that's obvious is Royce Freeman. You need, obviously, an answer at running back. C.J. Anderson's now in Carolina. Uh, now, if Devontae Booker steps up his game, Royce Freeman doesn't have to be all that in a bag of chips. But if that doesn't happen and Devontae Booker continues to show the form that he has the last couple of years, which is a little bit north of three and a half yards per carry and uh, being probably more effective in space catching the ball than uh, as a between-the-tackles runner, then you need Royce Freeman to be your plow horse right away. So I'd start with him. Next, I would say Deshaun Hamilton slash Troy Fumagalli. I'm going to kind of lump them together, even though they're different positions. Deshaun Hamilton, compared to Cortland Sutton, who, uh, like you mentioned and John Elway said, is a bit raw at this point. Deshaun Hamilton doesn't have the same athletic measurables as Cortland Sutton, but is a bit more of a finished product, especially as a route runner. So Deshaun Hamilton could provide you an answer at slot receiver right now if he flourishes. And that would be huge for the Broncos if Cortland Sutton does take a year or so to develop. And then Troy Fumagalli, part of that just depends on where Jake Budd is and uh, whether Jeff Hireman can take the next step. But you'd like to do some stuff with two tight end formations, and I think to make that work short and long term, you need Troy Fumagalli to be a hit and develop. And especially if Jake Butt's ACL causes some lingering issues going forward as he uh, has completed the recovery, but sometimes guys have injuries as they work their way all the way back. Now, the Broncos were cautious with Jake Butt last year. That's why he didn't play. But if something does happen, you want Fumagalli to be there. I would have said a guy like Josie Jewell, but the thing with Josie Jewell is he doesn't have to start. You've got Brandon Marshall. You've got Todd Davis there. I think with Josie Jewell, what you're looking and seeing, okay, is he a starter in 2019? rather than 2018. Now, he might have to have a starting assignment at some point in 2018 because of an injury, but right now, you're looking at him being a rotational guy, being a special teams guy. 
We're saying hello to everybody. We're trying to at least, this time it's on Instagram. I may ah. regret this when I see the data charges, but anyway, you can check us out on Instagram as well. See, I, I have unlimited data. I wanted maybe to I tell you, doing this. well, maybe we'll switch it up here after the next answer to. I've got to tell you, though, Mace, it's funny because you bring up Troy Fumagalli. Now, granted, I told you I give you credit for putting me on to him. We both very much like his game. Yes. Our buddy Chris Hall, as we mentioned, gave us a great review about the guy, too. Here's the thing for Troy Fumagalli. Um, Talking to Casey Jones today, who did work for, for those that don't know, Casey Jones, a former Miami Hurricane. The last game of Miami's season last year. Yeah. Orange Bowl against Wisconsin and Troy Fumagalli. He told us that um, he loves Fumagalli's game. He thinks that Fumagalli could be, he like could be the guy. And, and he has higher expectations than most do. He said, you know what, Fumagalli could be your all-around tight end that you don't take off the field. Now, this is this is obviously the top end of the ceiling. You hit the roof. He, right. he gives you everything. But this is a guy that again we've got we've got them really impressed more than I, I thought they would be. So I'm excited about that. The thing with Fumagalli is he can block, and blocking ability that is a prerequisite for being a Broncos tight end being drafted. It's one reason they like Jake Butt last year because he could block as well as run good routes, especially in the red zone. It's the reason why they like Troy Fumagalli this year compared to some of the other tight ends. A lot of the tight ends that you talk about that are the big names and go higher in the draft, they are basically big wide receivers. Like we go back to last year, Evan Ingram, and we did see how Evan Ingram can cause problems for a defense in coverage because of what he can do in terms of running routes and getting open and getting some space. We saw that when the Giants came to Denver last year. But Evan Ingram is not going to offer you much as a blocker, and the Broncos philosophically want a tight end that will stay in and block and then also when that tight end is on the field it doesn't tip your hand to what you're doing like it's not like oh uh, when Julius Thomas was out there in say 2013 and 2014 they could run with him but they weren't really running with him helping as a part of the play if you use say a Joel Dreesen for example especially in 2012 you're more likely to run with Fumagalli and Butt you have two guys that they're effective route runners, but they're capable blockers, then they don't tip your hand. The comparison I would make on both of them is to a guy like Owen Daniels. And if either of these guys can be Owen Daniels and have that kind of career, you're going to be ecstatic. See, it's interesting for me, because um, I agree, it, a lot of people have echoed the thoughts that you shared on both Fumagalli and Butt. And for me, Butt is almost a rookie. Bud is one of those because he's a first-year guy. He's almost he's as important as rookie any camp. rookie. Yeah, any rookie that we've got, Jake Bud is just as important as. Wouldn't you say? Outside of, I guess, Bradley Chubb, but I've had some guys. Tyler told me he thinks Royce Freeman's even more important than he show up early than Bradley Chubb does. I think there's validity to that because you are deeper at edge rusher than you are at running back right now. And the Broncos could be okay if Bradley Chubb is a rotational player now. I want him to emerge as more than that this year. But because you have Shane Rain, because you have Shaq Bear, if Bradley Chubb is a little bit slow to develop, you have options. The options aren't as plentiful at running back, and if Freeman is struggling in, in training camp, maybe you're looking to add one of those veterans who's still on the market. I mean, you know, just looking at some of the running backs available right now, Alfred Morris is still out there. Um, Orleans Darkwa, who had a big game against the Broncos last year. He's still out there. DeMarco Murray is still out there. 
And if any of those names are still available in August and Royce Freeman is struggling, he might be taking a look at one of those guys. But I don't anticipate that happening because I think Freeman is going to be able to help this team right away. Well, I can't wait to get rookie camp going and just see how that ultimately plays itself out, see if anybody doesn't kind of announce their presence right away, which would be nice, certainly, for the Broncos. Uh, but it is a different deal. I, I don't think you and I talk about rookie camp, and like you said, a couple of years ago, you would have had you would have had not only uh, Chad Kelly there, but he would have been working out. He would have been he would have been the only quarterback there, unless they wanted to bring in someone else because there weren't any more second year, first year guys, which they hadn't done. Mm -hmm. But they don't do any more on field work after the. Uh, you look at the injury to Jeff Hireman. You look at we kind of talked about this also uh, the pass rusher Dante, Dante Fowler, Fowler Jr. Jr. Uh, they've changed this to where it's really just kind of a here's your surroundings, here's where you need to go. I heard there's nine hours of meetings over the next two nine days. Nine hours of meetings. Good luck. Welcome but, to the NFL, kid. But the thing about it is it allows the rookies to get absorbed into the NFL and learn some uh, practical things that are kind of beyond football. I mean, that's why I think rookie orientation is maybe a better way of referring to this because it gives you a chance to kind of tell these guys what to expect at the next level. Everything from how to manage your time, how to make sure you're, you study enough, to how to manage your money. All that stuff they can get a nice little crash course on right away. And it can help them in ways that go beyond the football field. And then you're going to have to get them on field work when they get to OTAs. My question is, do you without a rookie camp, do you find ways to get them more reps? Do you say split the team into two and go on two fields? That was something that Mike Shanahan uh, did when he was head coach of the Broncos for a few years. That's maybe something you think about to get them the reps that they've been missing from rookie camp. See, gosh, you've only got so many days to work with, which makes it tough. Um, and maybe what you do is, I know Gary Kubiak was a big fan of a lot of days. People didn't always understand the Veteran Day Off, so on and so forth. The real point of the Veteran Day Off was more about, now it was to give certain guys rest and make them feel like they've earned a stature on the team that is showing respect for the career, whatever maybe you've handed the Broncos. But for Kubes, they used to do the walkthrough. They used to do the coaching. They did all this stuff because it was about getting your young guys ready in case you needed them. Mm -hmm. And you look back at 2015, there were a lot of young guys that you ended up needing and you needed to count on and so on and so forth. And you'd maybe do it at a slower speed. But you're right. The thing, even though it maybe keeps these guys healthy so you don't have another Jeff Hireman situation where he's blown his knee and, and let's be honest about it, he's never really had the kind of takeoff in his career that they expected. I know for a fact in 2015, they thought he might be the starting tight end. He might get more reps than Owen Daniels, and that's just not how it worked out. Uh, but you can't make up these snaps, and ultimately you can't baby these guys. It's a physical game. you got to go do things at full speed. And don't forget with Jeff Hireman, he had the hammy pull that he suffered coming off the torn ACL when he was working his way back. And the, the hamstring injuries like that, they're pretty common for guys coming off of an ACL. In fact, River Craycraft, when the Broncos brought him onto their practice squad last year, he had a torn ACL at Washington State. He pulls his hammy. The Broncos let him go. Then two months later, check up on him, see where he is, find out how he's recovered, and he was all the way back. And so they signed him to the practice squad, and now he's on the roster going into, the, into OTAs. But with Jeff Hireman, really, it was like two seasons were blown up because of the ACL. And then last year, you could almost say it was you know, kind of like a rookie and a half season because he played some uh, in 2016, but not all that much. And so you're sitting here with, with Jeff Hireman. He's going into his fourth year, the last year of his rookie contract. 
and we still don't really know what he is to the point where not knowing what he is the Broncos have drafted tight ends in the last couple of years from the same conference with similar skill sets and you wonder where Hireman stacks up because certainly they've got something invested in Jake Butt and Troy Fumagalli and they're younger so they have more years of team control contract wise they have an advantage if it's a tie on all counts well and I'm sorry I'm kind of hijacking Andrew on this podcast today but let's be honest about it you know more about the rookie class than I do so asking me questions <laughs> wouldn't really do you a lot of good I mean I'm excited about Chubb and we've talked about that but let's go a little bit deeper you brought up Josie Jewell and see I'm in your camp for me I think Josie Jewell could be a critical player but I think I think we've kind of mentioned this all these people that jump to the conclusion this meaning Brandon Marshall's out I, I don't think that's accurate you haven't replaced a Corey Nelson I think he's more a Corey Nelson replacement than he is for any starter currently on the roster you're hoping to get good reps out of this guy you know and maybe another linebackers have kind of been another spot where the Broncos have found gems and mm-hmm. undrafted guys and seventh round guys and so on and so forth I remember nobody thought much of Danny Trevathan and he turned into a player that I think they've missed greatly yes um so well, to me you don't let go of Brandon Marshall but what, what would you expect of Jewel overall for the role and which, which position does he fit in better? Is he more a Todd Davis or a Brandon Marshall? Well, that's the interesting thing because you look at his time speed and you think, okay, maybe we don't have him in coverage. Maybe he's not a sub-package guy in addition to a base-package guy. But he also had a lot of coverage responsibilities at Iowa. Now, he would allow yardage but uh, sometimes, but he didn't allow touchdowns. And so I think what you're counting on with Josie Jewell is the game speed being better than the time speed. And you know what? That happened with Dan Trevathan. His time numbers were horrible. That's one reason why he slipped to the sixth round back in 2012. But the film was terrific, and he was always around the ball. And I think there's a legitimate Danny Trevathan comparison for Josie Jewell. Now, Brandon Marshall, no, I, I don't think he's on the outs for this year. I think he's set in that lineup, and I think he's set in the fact that you'll see him in the sub package as well, working with Sua Cravens as basically the two linebackers who have coverage responsibilities. In 2019 or 2020, might be a different story because the nature of Brandon Marshall's contract basically means you can get out of it after the 2018 season going into 2019 with relatively little in the way of dead money. All right, I've got to throw one thing at you. And I guess just full disclosure to the listeners, we're recording this at a time when I've got to go get my daughter. So I guess I'm a little on tight on tight for that reason. But you were the one man that could answer the question. Okay. And we could not figure out the answer. James Gomez, our producer in the mornings on Orange and Blue 760, posed this question to me. What is the equivalent of a no-hitter in football? Now, we had, we had listeners weigh in with maybe, uh, you know, a, a shutout where they, they punt every time. It, it's, a, it's a punt every time scenario. Maybe the perfect game would be three and outs for the defense all the way through. The listeners thought the perfect QBR game would be more hitting for the cycle because we all kind of view the no-hitter or the perfect game as a defensive metric rather than an offensive sort of stat. Which way would you go? What what could we relate, relate in football? And we brought this up because the Seattle Mariner picks, pitcher Paxton right. had thrown the no-hitter in Toronto the other night. But, w- but what would be the equivalent in your mind? Ryan Edwards even admitted we'd have to go to the, the Oracle, Andrew Mason, to figure this out. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, and this is a really good question. Hear that, James? Andrew Mason likes you. I I love the question. (laughs) Let's start by saying that in an average baseball season, you're playing the equivalent of 10 years' worth of football games. 
because of course there are 162 baseball games per, per team per year and there are 16 football games. So let's just say the last 10 years of Major League Baseball. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty, one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, thirty. So it looks like about thirty-five no-hitters in the last ten years of, of baseball, or last ten years of baseball. Which um, is equivalent to what you say, a hundred years of football. <laughs> so that would, so that's basically three and a half per season. Okay. So it would have to be something that occurred three and a half times a decade in football. <laughs> Can you think of anything? Well, I'll tell you the the, uh, the shutout with all punts. I know that happened once. In the last decade, that was uh, Seattle did that to Chicago. It was the Jimmy Clausen game a few years ago when they when John Fox had to throw Jimmy Clausen out there, and Chicago got past midfield at one point and punted, thus squandering their only scoring shot. But the thing is, you actually want turnovers, so I, you know a, a turnover would kind of prevent that. So I don't know. And I can't think of a game. We, we looked up a game with no first downs, and literally they were pulling up stuff from the 30s. Yes. Where I'm not even sure they created the first down. Maybe that's why there wasn't any. I'm going to Unfortunately, did you know this real quick? The Broncos have participated in a no first down game with Houston back in the 60s. I believe it because there were a lot of negative things that happened to the Broncos back in the 1960s. I'm going to say it's a shutout, and you allow – Four or fewer first downs. So four one, or fewer? Okay. Four or fewer. So one per quarter. All right. A shutout and four or fewer first downs. Now, when I'm done with this, I'm going to go look that up because you can go find these things on Pro Football Reference. Here's what we need. So I might have a different answer if you ask me next week and I look up some more things. Yeah, you know what? We're going to find out on Orange and Blue 760 as soon as we can in the morning. You, we'll have people tune in for the podcast next week to get this answer next week. Yes. Um, you then I obviously too tight for me today, but I've got to know what the perfect game then would be, and you're gonna have to look deeper into that because there's been even fewer perfect games than there have no hitters. The so. other thing I'd like to see is on assisted triple play. That is the most rare of occurrences. It actually remember Tuo pulled one off. Yeah, he did in 07. Stefan Tubbs of KOA got the ball because he, he threw it away, not thinking. And you know the thing about that, it was the last day of the draft that year. It was a, a two-day draft. It was Saturday, Sunday. It was on the Sunday. And I was so ticked off because it was against the Braves. And any other time of year for a Braves-Rockies game, I would have been there. But I had to miss it because of the draft, and thus I missed an unassisted triple play. You missed history. Yes. You could have had the I've ticket. I've seen two no-hitters in person. One of them was Ubaldo Jimenez in 2010 Atlanta. I was there. I actually was working the game. I have my credential. I have pictures that I took and everything. See, you really are little Ditka because you're bad for offense. That's what you're telling me. You show up and there's very little offense. But my first year <laughs> back on the Broncos site in 2013 writing was the year of arguably the greatest offense in football history. There's anomalies, my friend. There's anomalies. Because <laughs> it yeah. hasn't been the same since. There was your anomaly. Is like the, the football <laughs> gods didn't sense your presence then got wise in 24. Actually, 2014 wasn't a bad offensive year, so Not we can't the, put it on you. And even at the end of the year when Manning was struggling, C.J. Anderson was lighting it up and en route to the Pro Bowl. 
Thank you, Andy. Before we go, we've got a special treat for you. Rick Upchurch joined us on the radio this week. Of course, Upchurch was out at the UC Health Training Center to talk with some Broncos players, most importantly, including Isaiah McKenzie. He had some good advice for Isaiah McKenzie, which he's going to detail for you in this interview. Stay tuned, and thanks for listening. My goodness, great to have him back on the show. Welcome to it. First and 10 to 10, Orange and Blue 760. Ryan Edwards, Andrew Mason, and Steve Atwater. Rick, good morning. Thank you so much for giving us some time. Good morning, Legend. Well, good. Hey, Rick. Good morning, gang. How you guys doing? We're doing great, man. Uh, how was your uh, trip to the Broncos facility yesterday? It was wonderful. Great time. Uh, good people. Had a chance, man, to sit down and talk with, you know, Isaiah McKenzie a little bit, some of their returners and that whole deal. And and give them some some points and some tips in that whole deal. Just being back out at the facility is is a great atmosphere. It really is. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about those points and tips because uh, we saw the picture with you and Isaiah McKenzie. And look, uh, the, the fact is that that's a very interesting name right now for the Broncos. They draft two wide receivers. They uh, add Philip Lindsay, who obviously could be in the mix for punt return. Uh, his, his position as far as the uh, punt return on this team is kind of uh, in in jeopardy just a bit. Of course, we found out he got. I mean, last year, of course, he got benched at one point too. So, what was some of your advice to Isaiah McKenzie? Well, first and foremost, I told him, uh, you know, um, the rearview mirror of a car is small for a reason. Uh, you don't want to look at the history uh, that's behind you. That's history, and it's gone. And now you got that big windshield in front of you, man. And you got all all of the future that's in front of you. Everything that you just learn from this stuff. I told him, I said, if you never fall down, if you don't ever make a mistake, then you don't improve and get better. So now is the year for you to get better. You're no longer a rookie. Um, here's some tips. Catch as many punts during practice each and every day so that you're comfortable catching the ball. That's the number one thing that you have to do. And then the second thing was making good decisions. You can't make bad decisions catching the ball at the five-yard line. And then all of a sudden you're running back and forth and you get tackled, man, at the four-yard line. You put the offense in a bad situation. The next one was fumbling. you got to hold on to the football because then you put the defense in a bad situation or you put the offense in a bad situation. So I told him the decisions that you make, it affects the team more than you can even imagine. And then I said have pride in playing that position because you can make the game sway any way you want, any time when you return a punt or a kickoff back all the way. Now, Rick, uh, when you broke into the league, you were one of the best returners right away, but did you have any moments in your career where uh, you had to get past uh, some struggles? No. I was always very comfortable, honestly. I I was always comfortable. I was always taught uh, from a young uh, ball player, you know, back and back home with my, with my coach to always take care of the football. As a matter of fact, if we fumbled in high school, we had to carry a football with a handle on it, so everybody knew <laughs> that you were the guy that fumbled the ball, and you had to carry that all week. Uh, so, you know, we had some things that really deterred us from fumbling. So, but naturally, you're going to put the ball on the ground every so often, and that's one of those mistakes. But during the week, man, when you come back from making that fumble or that mistake, you work on it that week so that it doesn't happen again. 
Rick, so uh, Philip McKenzie, uh, running back out of uh, CU. Philip uh, Lindsay. Philip, what did I say? You said Philip McKenzie. Put them together. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, Philip Lindsay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My bad. Hey, I do that sometimes. That's all right. Well, if- it's okay. See, hey, dog. Hey, I'm with you. See, all them licks you was putting on people, man, I know you got some issues. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Well, Rick, uh, so Phil- yes, <laughs> Philip Lindsay, uh, the running back from CU. You uh, yes. talk. There, there's words or whispers out of the Broncos complex that he may return punts. Now, at CU, he didn't return one punt. What do you think mm-hmm. the the chances are of a guy who didn't return any punts in college being able to do that at the NFL level? Well, you know, uh, Steve, I, I've been I've been knowing the Lindsay family forever. As a matter of fact, I coached with. Uh, Tony Lindsay Sr. Mm-hmm. at uh, Thomas Jefferson High School and coached his son Gabe in high school as well. And let me tell you, most of those kids that that uh, that in that, that in that Lindsay family, they're awful talented. I mean, they could they're 360 degrees. Uh, they've been doing this stuff, man, since they were little. So I would imagine that you know uh, Gabe. I mean, not Gabe, but um, what was his name? Uh, the young Lindsay kid. Oh, Philip. Um, yeah, Philip. I think that he's he's just an athlete. I think he could do it uh, with no problem, no ands or buts about it. Even taking into account, you know, with the NFL, just the pressure of returning the punts and you know the 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 left-footed punters, the the wind, all the environment, not having done it for the last four years, being able to step yeah. into that environment, you think he'll he'll be able to do that? I really do. I, I think I think he's once again an athlete. I think, once again, knowing his dad and having the opportunity to coach with him, wow. uh, all of his kids were 360 degrees. I tell you, Steve, uh, Gabe was just, he could do it all. Kickoff returns, punt returns. And I know all the other kids have probably been coached the same way. And, you know, I was a running back coming out of high school and that whole deal. I mean, coming out of college and high school and that whole deal. I returned punts and that whole deal during, you know, college and, and, and that whole deal. So I never got away from it. But, Steve, once you get into practice, and you practice that each and every day. I used to catch 100 a day, 50 in the morning, 50 mm. after practice in that old deal to make sure that I secured the ball and make sure it didn't even bother me, man, when somebody was coming down the field. So what I suggest to those guys is really put in a lot of time during the week, man, catching a lot of punts. I don't care how they kick it, kick it on the ground, kick it in the air, kick it short, kick it where it turns over, kick it into the sideline. Catch as many punts and, and so that you're comfortable you know, catching the football. Yeah. Well, that, 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 that warms my heart. That makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And so, and so uh, what I'm going to be doing, is, you know, they invited me over, Coach uh, invited me to over to work with those guys in that whole deal. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over and work with those guys and uh, hopefully, man, give them some tips and, and they can get better at it. Hey, man, it puts a smile on my face, baby. Yeah, yes. Man. I love it. Hey, we're chatting with yeah. – uh, yeah, that 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 is actually really really cool stuff. Rick Upchurch joining us here on the hotline, Broncos Ring of Famer. Hey, I want to I want to kind of talk to you about something we were we were discussing right before you came on, and I, I have a feeling I know your answer on this, but I still want to ask it anyways. And and I love that you said, hey, I I didn't really ever find myself in a position of of struggling at that position because you took so much pride in it. That was a, a bit of just what you saw you needed to be good at. And so we were having a debate earlier. If it's worth it having a guy back there, and then just this doesn't this isn't you I'm talking about. This is just in general. Is it worth having yeah. a guy back there that has had 
issues with securing the ball, but he offers the upside of being able to give you touchdowns, as in we may have looked at Isaiah McKenzie's season last year a little bit different if he had broken a few of those for touchdowns, but because he didn't, it was all downside because of the ball security. Do you see kind of where I'm trying to tie this together, or am I I being a little too loose with that? I do. I do. I certainly understand that. You know, and you have to prove yourself. You have to come back and prove yourself. You know, everybody's going to look at you and say, well, you're a fumbler, you you can't feel the ball, and you're horrible, and that whole deal. But I question, I to ask anybody to go back there and do that job, there's right. not a whole lot of people that volunteer for that job. So, <laughs> right. you know, we can sit back and criticize all you want, but go back there and do it and get hit up under your chin a couple of times and take a couple of those blows to your head. You'll take, you'll take into account, man, this is not as easy as it thinks. Right. But let me tell you something. If anybody wants a job, that's a job that you can get. Once again, it can turn a game around. It can put your team in a great field position. You take pride in it. Hey, man, you have to have people that want to do it. They want to help make a difference for your football team. That's the other third of the game. You're also a great kickoff returner as well as a player. So one thing we've been discussing recently is uh, the proposed rules changes on kickoffs, which could uh, de-emphasize it further, and how there's a chance that maybe kickoffs could vanish from the game. As a former returner, how do you feel about that? I think it's horrible. Come on, man. You start the game, the fans get all geeked up, man, with the kickoff coming and that old deal. Somebody kicks it off. You catch the ball at at the goal line. You take it back all the way. You open the game up with a 100-yard return or a 90-yard return, does that set the tone for your defense now? Defense is saying, oh, baby, we the offense didn't even hit the field, and we're up 7-zip? Mm-hmm. Man, that's, man, that's one of those big things, man, that, once again, those are points that you don't count on. But also, man, the momentum of a game can change as quick as LeBron James banking it off the backboard and making the game-winning shot. All right, so I understand that side of it, but what about the other side of it in terms of – the concussions and that that come from that well that some of the studies have said <laughs> we haven't mm-hmm. seen those studies but uh, mm-hmm. see they come from from the kickoffs. How do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. Well, let, let me tell you, Steve. The kick, this this game has been around since then, I think the 1920s or 1930s and that whole deal. And I think people are still here. Yeah, we've lost some guys, but I say for the biggest largest percentage, most of the guys are still pretty healthy. I still, I'm still pretty healthy. You know what I'm saying as mm-hmm. far as con- con- concussions are concerned. I did it for nine straight years, Steve, and did it all in high school and college. So, hey, man, I'm just saying, look, the game, there's consequences in the game, and if you know now what we didn't know back then and you know now, you say to yourself, I don't want to return kickoffs in that ordeal because it's going gonna, it's gonna to bother me. It's going to hurt me. But, Steve, can you imagine, man, starting the game out you're on the defense, and all of a sudden you go out and you're up seven already without right. the offense even touching the field. Uh, now, I, look, I understand the concussions, and I understand all that, but that's still part of the game. You can get your knees taken out as well. Yeah, true that. Rick, just a few more you questions. Know, oh, yeah, go no, continue, please, continue. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, uh, when we talk about, you know, people getting hurt and things of that nature, that's, to me, it's part of the game, but now that we know – we can take more precautions. We can do that for sure. But to take away kickoff return, come on, big Steve, you go down, man, and bust up that wedge and hurt somebody, man. 
Uh, no, nah, I wasn't the wedge buster. <laughs> 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 hey, <laughs> hey, those were the kamikazes there, you know. <laughs> no, you a jackhammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good nickname for you, jackhammer. We call oh, yeah. him, we call him Lumba. Hey, we call man. him Lumba a lot, but jackhammer, that's a good one too. Yeah, bringing that wood, boy. I'm oh, yeah. I, I go up against one big guy, but two big guys, no, I'm, I'm going to leave it to somebody else. <laughs> now, Rick, now, Rick, it sounds to me like you are, are not one of the purists because we, we have a guy coming on after our show, Matt McChesney, who's really upset about the notion of losing kickoffs, thinks that the game is fundamentally changing before our eyes and, in his opinion, not for the good because you, you put too many changes in then it, it becomes less like football. And, and you seem to be on the other side of that, appreciating a bit of the, the health factors. Yeah, well, once again, like I said, I've done it a long time. I've been it a long time, man. And I'm still here. You know what I'm saying? There's right. a lot of other Billy White Shoes Johnson. I just left him. He's still here. In great shape, too. So I'm just saying, man, yeah, there's a percentage of guys that are, that are being hurt, but how can we bring just kickoff returns and saying it was kickoff returns, man, that was the problem. The statistics to me are wrong. I, as a receiver, I got more concussions as a receiver than I did as a as a as a part of kickoff return. But really, I think they're changing the rules not to protect the the returner more so than those wedge busters and the guys who who are right. blocking. You know, those are the guys right. who've been been uh, affected more so than the returner. So, um, yeah, absolutely, Steve. You're absolutely right there because. Now, but, but again, you know, what are we going to do? We're going to start the ball, put the ball right there at the uh, 20, 25-yard line and start from there. <laughs> well, I think they're trying to change the rules up to where the return team and the kickoff team just aren't as far apart to where it's almost like a punt where, where the, the, the return team is kind of running down the field with the guys who are covering the kickoff and kind of pushing them, blocking them along the way versus having guys back where they form the wedge and, you know, those guys running down the cover have a running start. So I think they're trying to cut that part out of it. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? It's, it's, uh, the league is the National Football League, and Commissioner Goodell and all those guys, the owners, they make those decisions. And if they decide to make those decisions for the health of, of the players, I'm for it. But once again, I, I, we're still here. We're still around. Yep. Uh, we're still talking, and uh, I just love that phase of the game, man. I think it's, I think it's juice. Yeah. What does it mean to you then that, that you can still be around uh, the game in, when the Broncos invite you over like that? You can counsel uh, the, re- the returners of today. Oh, it's a lot of fun. You know, I've been in coaching, man, forever. When I left the game, man, I've coached college, high school. I've run my own camps and that whole deal. I love it. I love watching kids uh, develop. Uh, I watch them going on with their with their life and their career, whether it be high school, college, or in the professional uh, ranks. And uh, then you get those letters or those uh, emails uh, saying, Coach, you know, I made it. I got the opportunity. I just want to thank you. So, you know, when you can change people's lives, man, and, and hopefully they can live their dreams out, that's what it's all about. Because if, you hold, if, you, if you're a talented guy like Steve is and that whole deal, and he holds on to that treasure and not pass it on to the young people, then he's doing his own self a travesty in that whole deal. Pass that treasure on to the kids so that then you can look back and say, man, I remember when that kid wasn't even able to do a push-up or or jumping jack. Yeah, I know that has to feel great. So, Rick, now what was your fondest memory as a Denver Broncos uh, player? 
Oh, my goodness. You know, naturally, uh, Steve, uh, you know, going to that, that first Super Bowl, you know, you as a player, man, when you come into the league, you say to yourself, man, will I ever make it? I, I talked to a whole bunch of guys that never went to the Super Bowl, and they're sitting back and saying, man, I wish I had a half chance. And so naturally, when we went in 77, 78 season and, and uh, that, that whole deal, Steve, that was just absolutely juice. And it brought the city, the Rocky Mountain region together, man, and that whole deal. That whole deal. And that also started, man, the winning tradition that we have today. Sure did. Rick, yep. we really appreciate the time, man. You, you kill it as always. Thank you for uh, everything popping on with us today. We'll definitely be checking in with you again later Pre- soon. Appreciate Thanks, it, Rick. Rick. Hey, Steve, you don't want to be a bug, a wedge buster? Come on, big fella. No, 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 man. <laughs> I to, hey, I was contained. <laughs> Steve, I love you guys, man. You guys take care. Wonderful show. God bless you guys. Thank you. Man. Love I you too, bro. Talk that. to you soon. There he goes. Rick Upchurch, Broncos <laughs> ring of famer. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Ryan Edwards and Steve Atwater, who were in on the Upchurch interview. For all of them, I'm Andrew Mason. We'll talk to you next week.